TV, you betcha. In honor of television's Fargo, what 90s movie would make a good television show? I'm Katie Rich, and I'm going with The Truman Show, both because it's already happening and because a limited-run series could actually have a lot of fun with that crazy high concept. Hey, it's me and Dave with The Seven, and I'm saying The Rocketeer. Why there wasn't a greater reboot effort for the 20th anniversary is still beyond me. I'm Matt Patches, and I'm going to go with Alex Proyas's The Dark City. One, Roger Ebert loved it, so I bet half of you really love the hell out of it. And two, is there any, like, good science fiction television on right now? I mean, this movie this movie is so freaking weird. I'm David Ehrlich. I have never been able to get through the entirety of Dark City. And I am going to go with Wong Kar Wai's Chunking Express, because uh, I think the episodic structure of the film already suggests that it could support a number of different characters who don't maybe know that they have anything to do with one another, but we sort of learn over the course of a season, maybe they all, their lives intersect, maybe like lost, but uh, much, uh, much better. I don't know. Much more yes. Wong Kar Wai. <laughs> Wong Kar Wai, would you want that? Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then, well then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 19 for Tuesday, April 15th, 2014. Happy birthday to my dad, who doesn't listen to this. Also, happy Your tax taxes day. are due. Yep. So, as some of you may or may not know, uh, our dear Miss Rich is getting married and may or may not become Miss Rich Yeah, Baltus. are you taking your fiancé's name or are you going to be Mrs. I, well, will, I won't say it. I, I, will, I, will, I will still be known as Katie Rich. That will still be my name. That seems like an easier thing to bring. Wouldn't want to change your Twitter handle. No, God no. I love my Twitter handle. I mean, but in, in honor of Katie getting married and all of us, we're all going to traipse down there and have a good old-fashioned wedding weekend and one of us is gonna come out with a husband probably maybe two maybe two maybe two actually no in south carolina you can't do that well i mean in the eyes of whatever god we choose to recognize (laughs) in the eyes of neil degrasse tyson we could possibly get get married anyway (laughs) way off topic here we decided to look at some of our favorite wedding films as sort of a build-up to uh katie getting married and taking the week off and where better where better to start then with the 1940s romantic comedy, The Philadelphia Story, features Cary Grant, Catherine Hepburn, Jimmy Stewart, in sort of a love triangle. You might remember that Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn were married, but got divorced because she has some high morals about his alcoholism and whatnot. Anyway, that's all investigated in this sort of uh, divorce farce, I guess would be a way to put it. I'm not. It's a definitely a specific type of trope that was developed in the late 30s and early 40s because it was a way to get around um, showing extramarital affairs without having it be an extramarital affair. So you could have a complex conversation about characters and love and uh, being flighty and marrying for society reasons without actually doing the thing you couldn't do and still get into multiplexes, which is show a woman or a man cheating on their significant other. So this is one of those interesting movies where everybody, there's a, I guess, sort of a farcical plot build about uh, Dexter, who is Cary Grant's ex-husband, sort of weasels his way into um, Tracy, who is Catherine Hepburn's new wedding to her, he feels, lesser husband, and also brings around two reporters for Sky Spy Magazine, one of which uh, Mike is uh, Jimmy Stewart. And they sort of end up, Mike and uh, Cary Grant and uh, Ruth H- Hussey, I believe. Who's H- Hussey? Am I, I think. that right? I think it's Thank Hussey. You. Yes. Um, also shows up as uh, the other reporter. I'm doing a bad part of. Um, I guess describing the complexities in the center of this movie, but more uh, describing why I like it. The complexities are less interesting than I think the the farce elements, which is that this is one of those movies where you put a bunch of people at a country house and nothing really happens so much as everyone just kind of runs around and has conversations with each other. And at the end, there's a wedding. 
And yeah. she says, yo, yo, yar. Yo, yar. She was so, so yar. Always be yar. Yeah, they have great Catherine Hepburn accent and Cary Grant accents, and then uh, the Jimmy Stewart voice, which I, I wouldn't call an accent. Well, just... I want to be yar. It seems like there's a lot of memorable lines in this movie, but to the point where I'd know if I had saw them, I'd be like, ha, ah, yes, that, of course, but none of them are coming directly to mind. Other than except things for the being yar. Exactly, other than things being yar. I mean, I, I guess also the weird thing is this was one of those movies that, you know, I saw in my AFI Top 100 pilgrimage to become a better film watcher when I was too young. So it it's like I never... The whole Catherine Hepburn extreme farcical accent was something that I was introduced to before seeing this movie. So I think it was a little it was a little difficult for me to really buy into what the plot was until it ended. I kind of wish I went through this movie more often than I did. I think I've only seen it like three times. That's not time. very Yar of you. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I think I get the same pleasure out of this movie that the audiences of 1940 did, which is that it's fun to watch these beautiful people in beautiful clothes in a beautiful house kind of run around and be witty with each other. Like, like you were saying, it's not like His Girl Friday where every line is just like, you know, it's running after you and it's moving so fast. It's, it's witty, but it's not crazy quotable the way that some other movies at the time are but it's very fun and every scene kind of opens up with a different combination of these people in this house and you look forward to seeing how they're going to get on each other's nerves and it's, it's purely pleasurable for me to watch it although I think if I had watched it slightly more recently I might have more critical opinions on it but I just kind of I do want to say especially to the younger uh, listeners out there do not be fooled by uh, what this movie says about the powers of alcohol to make people forget things entirely. <laughs> uh, it doesn't work that way, or at least not that completely. And so be responsible for your actions, for well, you this, will probably remember them. This movie's uh, sort of attitude toward alcoholism I find very interesting, because it basically starts the movie by saying that, you know, alcoholism is something worth leaving your husband over and then chips that storyline away until she's kind of being petty and then sort of comes all back around to, like, how dare we all sort of, you know, judge these hardcore alcoholics. I mean, that might that's probably definitely a reading of somebody who's not living in the 1940s watching this movie. I mean, movies from, like, you think about the Thin Man movies where it's this married pair of, I mean, I wouldn't call them alcoholics. They're very heavy drinkers, and they make it look so much fun. I mean, you didn't get to show much about sex in this time, so why not show everyone drinking and having a blast? Patches, any love for the Philadelphia story? Well, I was going to ask you guys why you think the Philadelphia story continues to stand out and connect with I, I find that a lot of people in my life who've revisited the Philadelphia story looking to watch old movies or old classics not necessarily going after the films of um, Georges Cukor am I pronouncing that right I think so um, but you know just trying to find old classics that seem to have value today uh, and always stumbling upon the Philadelphia story and I wonder why perhaps this film um, of George Gacor's filmography or just of other films of the 1940s seems to stand out to you. Um, and just like maybe it's because it continues to seem modern or it seems to be um, pushing buttons like Dave mentioned. I, I wonder if there's something in the filmmaking or something in the performances. What, what, what tangible element seems to stand out to you? Um, I guess for me it's not only a good example of the kind of stories that are being told in this time in American cinema, but almost like an Ocean's Eleven of its time in retrospect, mm -hmm. in the sense that it has three really great stars that seem like they're kind of having a good time digging their teeth into these characters. And they're all stealing her away from Andy Garcia. Andy Garcia. Is John Howard the Andy Garcia of this movie? Is yes. That the, uh, I mean, I think that it also is uh, pretty accessible in that it sets up a uh, readily identifiable love triangle, but it also falls into or helps define what we now recognize as a standard romantic comedy format and structure. Um, and so I think it is for modern audiences who are weaned on Matthew McConaughey films and the like, uh, pretty McConaughey, of course. It, but what you mean, true to, detective? Right, it's it's easy to uh, fall into. The dialogue's quick, the action's quick, the lines are funny, everyone's watchable. There's a great history to it with Catherine Hepburn sort of being on the outs and buying the rights to the 
screenplay so that she could star in it, knowing that the movie would be a, a sensational hit, which it was, uh, and jumpstarting her career, re-jumpstart, reinvigorating her career. Uh, so it, it, it sort of has a lot going on. It's, I don't think it's a film anywhere close to being with the same caliber as something like Casablanca, but, you know, that's a high bar to set. Um, but uh, Well, Casablanca's maybe. a really different kind of movie doing, I mean, in some ways different, in some ways the same, but it's kind of trying to do different things. I mean, yeah, absolutely. As I'm far as studio in, in movies from that period of, uh, could In the context be. Of, of studio movies from that era that people are seeking out now and, and for why. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, it, it has to fall on some sort of spectrum. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a very fun movie. It's very cute. They say the word yar a lot. <laughs> I well, like that. I imagine watching this movie before getting married would, like, I don't know, I'd be a little neurotic. To watch any uh, <clears throat> wedding movie, I feel like would add to my to my fear or to my well. I watched uh, maybe my excitement. I watched last night's Game of Thrones. Does that count? Oh that, yeah, is getting me oh, sick yeah. for a wedding. Who's learning to play the reins of Castamere for your wedding? Game? <laughs> no. oh, we're getting awesome. we're getting sick of roast, guys. I I, I want to know <laughs> what it's like to be getting married and to watch a wedding movie like this, perhaps. And I mean, this movie's kind of about mistakes in some ways, or, or I mean, averting them. I don't know. Or, or or are movie weddings so flighty that you really they have no? Has there been a movie and and Philadelphia Story probably is not it uh, that reflects the wedding experience, the a, true wedding about experience. having a wedding. I don't know. There's not very, I mean, Philadelphia story isn't really about the wedding itself. It's about all the nonsense that leads up to it. And there's something I always remember my best friend's wedding that, that dinner, that lunch where they all start singing at the table where you've got this really bizarre combination of relatives, which feels like every wedding I've ever been to where you have like the rehearsal dinner. And you're like, who are these people? How have I wound up at this table? But that's for me having been a wedding guest. I have yet to uh, go to my own wedding. So I don't know yet. Hey, maybe we should uh, watch my best friend's wedding for next week. Hey, think Done. about nope. that. Nope. Happening. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Telling you right now, not going to do it. But I've seen it enough that I don't really feel like I have to. Uh, say a little. Pa- There's this show called Rick and Morty. And it is on Adult Swim Mondays at, I think, 10 or 10.30. I'm going to say 10. Sure. Because I think it goes up against Teen Wolf, and that sounds like a show that they'd put on Mondays at 10 on MTV. Well, if you start watching at 10 and it happens to be 10.30, you'll still catch it. Th- thank you. <laughs> that, that is true. You'll just watch something else, which I'm not endorsing in this segment. But to which, which houses do Rick and Morty belong to? Oh, my God. What, what is on their sigil? Okay, so Rick and Morty is the product of this guy named Justin Roiland, who was a Channel 101 animator. You might know him from the House of Cosby's, which made a little oh, splash. Oh, I remember the House of Cosby's. About a guy you would call Cosby. I love Cosby, the House of Cosby's. That was eventually stopped um, by the Bill Cosby legal team, which got him very depressed. So that was Just- on Channel 101, right? That was on Channel 101. So Justin Roiland's way of... Uh, dealing with this depression was to go out and just blatantly infringe on copyright with the most disgusting thing he could possibly do. So what he came up with was um, an animated short about Doc Brown and Marty McFly where Doc Brown makes Marty lick his balls to fix the time machine because it's science and what does Marty understand about anything that's science? He just does exactly what Doc tells him. And through repetition of words and phrases like, oh, I don't know, Doc, and lick my balls, uh, Marty, and whatnot, this short somehow made it online and became so popular that he decided to change the character names so that he could continue making these shorts and sort of investigating this weird relationship between these two characters without necessarily the rage that a House of Cosby's has caused him. So flash forward into the future, these shorts exist, Dan Harmon's just been fired off of Community, He Adult Swim wants to do some sort of show with him, Dan Harmon knows that he doesn't necessarily speak the Adult Swim crazy animation audience, so he brings in Justin Roiland, who says he would love to do these Doc and Marty characters that have now evolved into characters called Rick and Morty. Dan, Rick- Dan Harmon being a Channel 101 founder, right? Yes. So that's how they previously knew each other and how they were aware of each other's work. It wasn't like Justin Roiland was sending 
you know, obscene YouTube videos of Dan Harmon. He might have been, but because <laughs> yeah, they were friends. Was. Let's be honest. Uh, but so then they decide to write this show um, that is half this character pairing of this boy and his grandpa, who's a super scientist, and half that kid's family, who um, is the grandfather's daughter, is the mother, um, played by, ooh, what's her name from Scrubs? Uh, Sarah, Sarah Chalk. Chalk from Scrubs. Sarah Chalk. Yep. And uh, Chris Parnell plays the father, and uh, this woman named Spencer Grammer plays Summer, who I'd never heard her in anything before, but she's lovely. And the show sort of splits between these really crazy, there are no rules, there are multiple universes, there are multiple versions of everything, sci-fi concepts with Rick and Morty, and smaller family stories about how... Sarah Chalk's character wanted to be a real surgeon, but because she kind of married a loser, she ended up being a horse heart surgeon and always feels like she could sort of be more and sort of blames the husband for this. And so very normal family drama uh, sort of paralleled against very out there sci-fi disgusting name repetition voice acting things and justin roiland does the care the character voices for both rick and morty so it sometimes plays like these weird improvised conversations between him anyway as the show has gone on i think we're 10 episodes in now um of i want to say a 12 or 13 episode season but they've already been picked up for season two huge hit for adult swim really high ratings in the male demographic um from like I think up to I think up to the forty male forty demographic, um, just like a large hit, and I would argue, and uh, film critic Hulk, who I don't always agree with, is also arguing uh, one of, if not the best show on TV. And since we're just committing to this segment being me a monologue, let me tell you why. <laughs> um, if you want to, if I, what I judge for a best show that's currently airing on TV is both what it is for its characters what it is for its format and if it could just be enjoyable so i could go back and watch a rerun of something that's super enjoyable and know its place in an arc but that's not like you know a tv show airing so for me television shows are like football so game of thrones doing the thing that it did last night and no i'm sorry did i was that not the thesis you were going with not the thesis I was going with. You know, Game of Thrones did the thing it did, so it has a little bit more weight this week, but then it also had to sort of run concurrently with Mad Men, so now this week's Mad Men, this week's Game of Thrones, and this week's Rick and Morty all get to compete in my mind for which one is a better microcosm of a TV show. The reason I think Rick and Morty is so good is because it's been using its sci-fi constraints to break down the character dynamics to its most basic level and it's kind of it's hard to explain how it's different from something like i've also said on this show that fringe has done something similar but it's hard to explain how a comedy can do that through these completely out there scenarios without saying like maybe maybe watch the pilot and decide if you could put up with the voice acting because uh, rick is very abrasive if you could put up with that just try to see how far into the series you get, and I would be not be surprised if by episode three you figure out that you're as hooked as I was. That's my that's my challenge to to you all. Three episodes of Rick and Morty. So it's like homework from Dave about the best show on TV. It sounds well, like not you. You're challenge. getting married. You have better, more important things to think about. For uh, segment three tonight, we have a very special guest in our midst. Uh, he is an actor who began his career as a teenage fan in the buried secret of M. Night Shyamalan in 2004. <laughs> starred in the TV series of Gravity, which uh, is exactly what you expect, I'm sure. Uh, and, and now, uh, in theaters, can be seen in a scene-stealing, yeah, film-stealing role. Stealing the show, at, genuinely, in uh, Ivan Reitman's draft day. Griffin Newman, a.k.a. Rick the Intern, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thank you very much. I'm doing well. Thanks for leading with all my best credits. <laughs> really, uh, all, all the first ones. Uh, yeah, David Solid on MDP. <laughs> the easiest way out. Yeah, no. Yeah, uh, no. We, uh, I've, known, I've known Griffin for a little while through our uh, trivia nights at Videology in mm-hmm. Brooklyn, and now... Uh, as you can, this is a good indication as to how much preparation goes in the show. I'm looking at his IMDb page for the very first time 
while we are recording this. And well, well, uh, it's, just to just to be clear here, you and I talked about we saw Draft Gay together, and we did. Uh, did I just say Draft Gay? Yeah, you, you and I going to see. Oh, you're alienating like half whoa. the audience. Whoa. Um, we we really kind of enjoy this movie unexpectedly. It may not have been up our alleys, but we uh, we really enjoyed Griffin, you in this film, and um, kind of uh, making comedy against the um, the Titan Kevin Costner, who is not like he he's done some comedic stuff in the past, but he's kind of stoic in this yeah. movie. He has a lot of problems to solve, and Rick the intern also has a lot of problems to solve, but also comedy to make. Well, maybe that's our first question to Griffin. Griffin, is Kevin Costner a funny man? Because he does not strike me as someone who's he's essentially an improviser humorous at heart. <laughs> He's an Apatow player waiting to happen. And he, don't worry, ne- neither him nor uh, anyone of any import listens to the show. So Yeah, are you trying say, to keep say him what you ever need working to. again right now? <laughs> yeah, let's, let's just get into all the dirt. Uh, no, he, he's a fairly stoic off-screen as well. Um, you know, a lot of the work I've, I've done is comedic or if not comedic, I'm being called in to be the comedic element Mm -hmm. and, uh, improvise and, and do dumb stuff. And, uh, he's, he's like a very strong, powerful acting force, uh, Mm -hmm. that stands very firm. And it was, uh, definitely interesting to do comedy against him as opposed to, uh, you know, all these other weak-willed actors who I steamroll over. <laughs> uh, yeah, is, is intimidating, yeah. Well, how, how does that work for you? Like, is, is there an example? There's some scenes later in the film, you, got, you have a heart-to-heart with Kevin Costner. And yeah. I just imagine trying to liven that kind of moment up while he's staring you down. I don't know, how, how, how do you get into a room with an actor like Kevin Costner and feel confident that you can make it work? Uh, I mean, my answer, and it only applies to this specific movie in this part, is that I didn't. Uh, <laughs> never really felt comfortable with him, which is not his fault. It's probably due to my own insecurities and neuroses. But my character is someone who's uh, thrown into a position of having to work with him suddenly and unexpectedly and is very overwhelmed constantly by what's being thrown at him and incapable of doing his job correctly. So I sort of very early on realized that the best thing I could do was just to not pretend that I was comfortable acting with him. Was it one of those method things where he would scare the shit of you on set all day, every day, and then as soon as you wrapped your last take on the final day of shooting, walked up to you with a smile, was like, hey, I'm Kevin Costner. Now we can be friends. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't that extreme, but I'll say, I mean, the times where he... Um, took me aside and sort of uh, went out of his way to make me comfortable and gave me some advice and that kind of stuff <laughs> were the later scenes where his character uh, is warming up to me a little bit. I mean, the two moments I remember him sort of going out of his way to support me as an actor were that scene later in the film where I have this sort of emotional beat. And then there's that small moment in the film where he tries to have a heart to heart talk with me about women and I blow it. Uh, with a uh, very uncomfortable uh, hand gesture, uh, mouth sound combination. Um, and th- those two scenes, he really kind of got on the ground floor with me. But the rest of the time, he was a little uh, distant, you know, in a way that I felt like was appropriate, you know? Uh, I'll let him say when he guests on Fighting in the War Room. Yes. <laughs> we'll have him next week. Stay That's tuned fair. Yeah. Although I, I just saw a Daily Show episode with Jennifer Garner recently, and she said that when Kevin Costner wasn't on set, he was always like, he, he brought his band with him, and they, yeah, were, jam- they were always band, jamming. Is that uh, is that the yeah. case? Yeah, he has a band. Jennifer uh, Garner is a liar. <laughs> yeah, that's what I really want to <laughs> know. That's what Griffin's going to say. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just going to get into the shit with every single cast member. That <laughs> um, he, he's got a band called the Modern West. Um, and he, uh, they were around. I mean, I know the last night of filming was a uh, Modern West concert. Uh, after everyone wrapped, there were like a bunch of shuttles going to see them perform. Uh, which we did as uh, like a group. Oh wait, yeah, it sounded like you weren't you weren't there, but you were. You did go. Yeah, no, no, no. I did go. I did go. I don't know if she noticed that I was there, <laughs> but, I, but I but I did go. Yeah, uh, and he, I mean, he played them a lot in the trailer, like the not not in there's, the. Tra- do you know that there's a button? On, do we? Are you still there? Yeah, my yeah. Oh, oh sorry. Are we uh, do you know. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I thought you uh, you were done. I couldn't tell if we had cut you off or not. There's a button on the right side of your IMDb page that says, take the quiz. Test your knowledge of Griffin Newman. <gasps> I, I might, might I, have to I've give it a go. Done it. I've done that quiz and I only got like 75%. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, wait, so so talk, this is a film that uh, I didn't realize until it started, to be honest, was directed by Ivan Reitman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I said afterwards that, and, and I couldn't have been more honest about it, although it seems like faint praise given a lot of his recent work, that this was my favorite film of his since Dave, which was 21 years ago. But yeah. uh, Ivan Reitman is definitely, you know, he's, he's a figure of... Uh, some renown and deservedly so. Uh, what uh, what is his set like? How is he holding up these days? Uh, it's interesting. I mean, he's a guy who I, I think uh, knows exactly what he wants. You know, I mean, he's uh, very smart and savvy about uh, sort of um, uh, the tone and pace and all that stuff. And even uh, some of his recent films that I uh, don't like as much as Dave, uh, that he has made leading up to draft day, I I do think he kind of gets on set and knows at least what he's trying to do. Um, So unlike some filmmakers who I've worked with, I mean, most of the people I've worked with are young people starting out because those are the only people uh, dumb enough to hire me. Um, (laughs) And they're kind of getting on set and more sort of experimenting and throwing stuff at the wall. He kind of has already gone through the script so many times and knows how he wants everything to play. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a little bit like, you know, uh, how you hear of uh, uh, Hitchcock working with his actors. Wow. Uh, with models and stuff. And I, I think, I mean, that's also me saying that in a smaller part in the film. I mean, I feel like the thing he's most known for is being good with movie stars. Mm-hmm. He's always made these sort of movie star vehicles. And I feel like Costner had a lot of control and say, I don't feel I saw it. I mean, he did have a lot of control and say over his characters and what he was, uh, his character and what he was doing in the film and his dialogue even. And then for a lot of these other smaller parts, it was really kind of, this is specifically what you need to do and what kind of timing and how to place into it. Mm. Now, this, uh, this is a bit of a technical question, but one of the things that jumped out of the film was that so much of it, uh, is told via split screen and yeah. split screen that's sort of unusual in that uh, often it will feature characters sort of crossing in front of their, their, their limbs will infringe on uh, the adjacent portion of the screen or they'll walk in front of the person with whom they're talking and it's the kind of thing that I would imagine can't entirely be done in post there would have to be some sort of practical element I don't know if you were involved in any of the scenes uh, where they use that but if you were and I'm hoping, given how long it's taken me to ask this question, yeah. uh, you were that uh, if you saw how that was how that played out in practical terms on the set at all. Uh, I I wish I could answer this better. I mean, I guess I'm not directly in any of those scenes, but I think I interrupt a few of those scenes. Mm-hmm. I certainly saw some of those films, uh, those scenes being filmed from the the Costner side, not the other side. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I certainly didn't hear anyone explain that approach while we were filming it. Um, I, I don't know how planned that was or wasn't. Um, I, watching the movie, when I saw it for the first time a couple months ago, I was very surprised the first time that happened. I mean, pleasantly so. But usually with sort of... Um, it's, it's such a major uh, piece of the visual language of the movie in a way that's more aggressive than the visual language of most uh, dramedies or comedies like this, that to see it only for the first time when watching the final film without knowing about it um, was interesting. And I, I just, I'm not sure if they had that plan from the beginning. It didn't tell me because I certainly didn't need to know or if that was something that came about later in the process. But I do think, I mean, it's really smart because, yeah, like... 40% of the movie probably takes place over phone calls. Yeah. And it does make those phone calls feel a lot more active. And because the film takes place over such a uh, confined period of time, you couldn't really choose to just write those scenes as in-person things. I mean, the, the because of the nature of the story, you're forced to have these conversations over long distance. Mm. 
Now, what did Riven Riven tell did tell you that you had to know, especially in regards to your character? I mean, how much of Rick the intern arrives intact on set, or or in the writing, or how much uh, Costner wiggle room were you given to sort of make this? Rick the intern wasn't even in the script. Griffin just showed up, (laughs) and it became a thing. Brought it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was a PA, and I accidentally (laughs) walked in front of the camera one time, and they kept me in. Um. No, I mean, I think... It's Kids always, got it. Yeah. Um, I, I sort of come from, like, an improv background, and so a lot of times I get jobs, it's either because they know I do that or they figure that out and then let me sort of uh, take over scenes and then edit down to whatever things weren't terrible. And uh, this was the first time I think I've seen something I've been watched and realized that every word, I think, is pretty much as was written. Um, I think I was a little more tentative to try improvising stuff in this case uh, because of the uh, level of production it was, how much more sort of uh, big-time Hollywood it was for me than most things I've been in. It's like uh-huh. if you say the wrong word, you just wasted ten grand. Yeah, there were, there were a couple times I remember uh, th- there's a scene where I, I recount, I don't want to ruin any jokes, but there's a scene where I recount... Um, uh, of someone threatening me by saying that, uh, telling me to to go have intercourse with my mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the line in the film, and I I tried to make it fornicate and got in trouble with, for that. Oh, <laughs> what does getting in trouble look like in this yeah. situation? It, it was just it, it, it was just Reitman saying, "Griffin, don't do that." <laughs> <laughs> Does that make it make you cry? Is that like having your dad be a, like disappointed in you? Because yeah. that pressure is intense <laughs> from Ivan Reitman. Yeah, it's a little hard, yeah. Because I'm a weird dude, and that, like, for me, I mean, you know, I don't have a conscious aha moment that made me want to do this, but if I had to try to break it down, I'd say maybe Ghostbusters was the thing that made me go, like, oh, I want to be in movies. Mm -hmm. Um, Just watching those four guys hang out and bust ghosts as, like, a five-year-old, I was like, that seems like a cool job. Um, (laughs) So it's so odd you wanted to be an actor. Wouldn't you want to be a Ghostbuster? That was the first move, and then it just turns out that industry uh, isn't really high dying. Yeah, it's tough to break into. <laughs> yeah, it's very, very hard, um, especially as a young person uh, today. Right, right. There's a lot of affirmative action going on in hiring. I mean, as a white guy, there aren't that many Ghostbusters getting hired these days. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it it was it was weird. Yeah, because you know uh, when yeah when someone who's responsible for a thing that's had that level of influence on your life tells you that you're making the wrong comedic choice. In front of uh, 400 professionals, like, right. union, burly right. men. Yeah, people who have won Oscars and people who, who could beat me up because they have to carry lights all day and uh, the whole combination of things. Uh, it's tough, but, but watching the movie, I felt like all the choices were right. And I, I feel like I cringed less watching it than I usually do watching things mm. I'm in. I attribute to him preventing me from making bad choices more than any uh, smart moves on my own part. So you felt comfortable as an actor. You felt safe. Uh, comfortable is probably the wrong word because you don't want to be too comfortable, especially in that position, But I would think. Yeah. But you felt yeah. safe in his hands. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, the, going back to like two questions ago, um, I, I only auditioned for the film once, and I auditioned out in L.A. with Reitman in the room and the producers and everybody. And a lot of times you'll have your first level sort of perfunctory get in the door interview, especially living in New York as I do, where you're meeting with like a satellite casting director and then they pass you on to someone else and then maybe the director's in town and he meets with you or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And this was the only audition I had. The first audition I had was with all the people who were capable of making that decision there. Mm -hmm. And so by the time I got the part, I had met him. I had had him direct me a little bit in the room and respond to me and everything, which you don't always get. Sometimes you just show up and you're meeting that person for the first time. Um, but they uh, liked what I did in the audition, and they um, added some scenes that weren't in the script at the time I auditioned. The part got expanded a little bit from when I auditioned to when we started filming. Mm. Um, and I think they sort of wrote a little based on what I had done in the audition and going further with that. 
So Patches can attest. Patches can attest that uh, we saw firsthand how much Rick the intern is an audience slayer. There was a woman behind us who I think was like screaming for, for you uh, by the last scene. In the she film. was very worried about your arc <laughs> <laughs> and the, and the, and your laptop, which goes through some rough times in the film. Oh, she was man, worried about that. It does, yeah. No, I, I mean, I, I hope she was happy with where things ended up. I think it's vaguely optimistic. Ending I, from I think you, she was. You're a fan favorite. Wait, does Rick the intern yeah. die? Is this like a tragedy? <laughs> I should be worried now. No, I need a real untimely end. Uh, <laughs> I get drafted up to God's team in heaven. Wow. Or you just get drafted to a football team and they get Heaven is for real. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it's like that scene from Not Another Teen Movie. He gets right. uh, torn in half. Yeah. <laughs> So I think what everyone really wants to know uh, is how good does Jennifer Garner smell in real life? <laughs> just like, she just she looks like she would smell. David speaks for everyone when yeah. he's very nice. Yeah, no, I mean unbelievable, really. Uh, <laughs> she she's like one of the most impressive human beings I've ever met. I get that vibe. Um, she's just uh, just. Um, I'm trying to find the the right way to put this. I, I'm I'm trying to word it correctly without sounding like I'm madly in love with her. Um, Good okay. luck. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, join the rest of the club along with America. Um, <laughs> I uh, yeah, she's she's just like so uh, focused and uh, realized as a person. Um, th- there's a one of the actors in the movie, Tim Simons, who's also on Veep. Oh yeah, Jonah. Uh, oh yeah, that guy. Who's the best? And we were talking after the premiere about her, and he kind of put it best. I mean, this story kind of sums her up. He said, you know, my wife was at the premiere, and she wanted to meet Garner, so I brought her over. And immediately Garner said, how are your kids doing? Knew both of my kids' names, how old they were, how old they were about to turn. Turned to my wife, knew my wife's name. Uh, ask my wife how her nonprofit arts project was going. <laughs> well, Jennifer have... Garner is a Facebook stalker. Yeah, <laughs> no, she has she has Tony Hale from Veep just whispering in her ear <laughs> all, all these details. All these uh, but he was saying like, I don't know how you know my kids' names when you've never met my kids. And her kids were on set all the time, and I don't know her kids' names. I'm oh, sure like, they're like. Dolores, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I can't apparently improvise God. celebrity names. Get out of date on your celebrity kid names. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, but but she is kind of like, that's not an isolated story. She was, uh, she is one of those people who could go up to any cast or crew member at any point in time and remember everything they had ever told her and talk to them about it with uh, genuine compassion and interest. Oh man, Affleck would settle for anything less. Come on, come no, on. No, I he- mean... He's a high thread count kind of guy. <laughs> yeah, uh, she's incredible. Yeah, and and she smells really nice, and she's really pretty, and she's a good actress. She's pretty to be around. Yeah. Well, um, uh, Griffin, right. we we have to wrap up, but I actually had one crazy kind of way to cap this, unless other people had a, had a. Good I want, I, I'm gonna unless Griffin wants to shill for himself, which uh, he should. But I, I wanted to uh, before we wrap up. And Patches, we should ask your question first. I just don't want to forget to mention Fort Tilden and apparently Night Moves. Yeah, which I Night, moves. Night Moves. I've seen. That I've might have been realized. the last scene of Night Moves. Was that the yeah. last scene of Night Moves? Yeah. I'm in the last scene of Night Moves. Do oh, you shit. hire? Well, I never. Oh, yeah. well, spoiler, well, spoiler. Spoilers. I won't spoil it. Anyway. Uh, Griffin may have the secret that unlocks the ambiguous final. This sure scene. is <laughs> extremely <laughs> ambiguous. Ending. Yeah, yeah. Whatever's yep. on that application is the answer. But sorry, Patches, what were you going to ask? Go. Well, Griffin, I, I, we occasionally play a game here on Fighting in the War Room called the IMDb game. Okay. Um, and we play it with actors. Yeah, you've played this. But Joe, Joe Reed invented this. Yes, your, that's your true. Your fucking uh, penis teammate. Yes. yes, and so what you do is we pick an actor off IMDb, and we try and guess so IMDb can tell you the top four movies. It, Katie, is it based on, like, Traffic or interest, or it's based on some I mean, statistics. It's a mysterious formula, which is why I've done right. this with him. It's an interesting game. And and just to clarify for the listeners at home, Joaquin Penis is the name of my trivia team. Okay. Oh, yeah. Did we not mention that on air? <laughs> <laughs> That's what we call you off air. Well, uh, Griffin, have you played this game with yourself? Have, have you played with yourself? Uh, I have not played with myself. No. So, I- so my question to you then would be IMDb game, the top four movies for Griffin Newman on IMDb. I'm curious if you could guess them. Are you looking at the page right now? I am. Yeah, you're I am. Not allowed to look. Okay, I, I ask you an important question. Okay. Are all four movies or are TV shows included in here as well? They would be, but all four of yours are movies. Okay. 
That's just for the record, Griffin has been on Political Animals. Yes. And Blue Bloods and yes. Law and Order Special Victims Unit. None of which yeah. are the answer. Any, anything about politics or crime, that's, that's my <laughs> butt whistle. Corner. It's only called butt whistle, which did not make the game. Yeah. And which, by, by the way, uh, two of those three things I played personal assistance as well. That's kind of my entire industry. Hey, if you've got a niche, work it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, now let the all, Well, he also I stars mean. in something called Sexy and may be the uh, titular role. We don't know, so... I mean, I, I do some sexy things in that movie, but I also feel that way about every performance of mine. That's true. Uh, <laughs> naturally, okay. naturally. Sorry, okay. so play your game. Play your game. Play game. Four movies. Um, I'd, I'd say Beware the Gonzo is in there. Yes, Correct. it is. What, is. what is Beware the Gonzo for people who don't know? But Beware the Gonzo is a, uh, a high school teen comedy that is readily available on uh, Netflix Instant Streaming, where it essentially premiered. Uh, and I chilling and a game. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I get to do some really good plugs for things I did five years ago. Um, <laughs> it stars uh, Ezra Miller and, and Zoe Kravitz and Jesse McCartney, who are sexy young Hollywood stars. And I play uh, a character named uh, Horny Rob, is my name in the film. I essentially am the booger of the movie, and I'm the mm. best friend to Ezra Miller, and uh, am, am in love with uh, underappreciated uh, women in our high school, <laughs> like Amy Sedaris. She plays his mom. I, I am not in love with Amy Sedaris. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, am uh, I ever? I, I wish I had. I have a threesome in the movie with, with Amy Sedaris. Not with Amy Sedaris. <laughs> not with oh. Amy Sedaris. But now I'm retroactively feeling uh, bad. Yeah, the movie is now terrible. <laughs> I did demand that rewrite, but uh, yeah, uh, so you got one out of four okay. there. Okay, I'm gonna say beneath. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yes, beneath yeah. Uh, uh, a horror movie, right? Well, what that's, what is that? What is that movie all about? That's a, that's a horror movie that uh, Larry Fessenden directed, uh, okay. who did uh, Wendigo and Habit and The Last Winter and runs Glass Eye Picks, which is a very cool company. Uh, and it's it's a it's a giant man eating fish movie. Nice. It's like uh, uh, his whole pitch was that it was Hitchcock's lifeboat with a piranha. So it's like <laughs> a six teenager stuck in a boat uh, fighting over petty um, social clicky issues and trying not to get eaten by a giant blood uh, thirsty fish. Um, <laughs> very 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 proud of it. I get to do some. Uh, I, I I mean I don't. Yeah. Oh, Spoiler, wow. but I but I die in it. I get eaten by the fish. I think I think we probably could have seen it. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty clear if anyone's seen what I look like. That I you're I not the last girl of Benicia. Right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think. Right, but that's one of those things for me. I feel like as an actor, like d- doing movies, uh, there's a checklist of things you want to be able to do on screen, and uh, being killed by a monster was like very close to the top of my list. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so that's two out of four. That's, you're right. You haven't missed one yet. No, it's just two out of four. Yeah, well, draft day. I think draft day is a gimme. Damn it, David. David, I, cheater. I don't, I don't know. I mean, is I was. It seems like the obvious one, but I'm wondering if it's too recent to well, to get there. It I don't, is one of them. David cheated, so I'm just going to give it to you. Draft day is up there. People were interested enough to go to the IMDb page. Maybe not so much in the movie theater, but hey. There's <laughs> rentals and VOD. It's not over yet. People are going to watch it on a plane, Griffin. I, I mean, this is all I want to say. Las Vegas opened to like 10 mil, ended up at like 60 to 70. Uh, films that appeal to the uh, older demographics of America tend to multiply. <laughs> this is me. They got legs. Yeah. They take time, you know? Yeah. So what, we're, we're at weekend two is the real test. Um, so one left. We got one more. For, for I'm gonna go. When I I'm, I'm gonna say Naomi and Eli's no kiss list. No. 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 What is that, that? That one says it's. Well, now that's embarrassing. I had to say that title. That's, <laughs> that's another, another uh, uh, teen movie I was in. The two through lines throughout my career are playing teenagers and playing personal assistants. Mm-hmm. Um, but Victoria Justice is in the lead in that. Who's ah. a big teen oh, yeah. star. So I thought. According to IMDb, uh, it is not out yet. The, the first three words of the synopsis are incoming NYU freshman. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> I think I lived this movie. but uh, Yeah, she plays like a perfect dream girl, and I play like the, the ducky to her, uh, Molly Ringwald, in that Ooh. film. Sensing a trend. Yeah, yeah, a lot of that. A lot of not getting laid and handing people paperwork. And there's two and Bruce's, and people. you're one of them? Yeah. Well, yeah. well, yeah. I mean, that's the, uh, 
I don't want to ruin too much. All right, all right. Uh, so as a way of as a way of wrapping up. <laughs> wait, wait, we didn't, uh, wait, we, we didn't we let him guess, guess the fourth one. one. Oh, sorry, sorry. I'm I'm gonna guess the fourth one's Fort Tilden. Is that right? No, no. it's not all right. Ooh, Win- winner of South by. But yeah. not, not popular enough yet. Maybe soon. Someday it will claim this fourth spot. Um, the fourth spot is actually The Treatment from oh, uh, 2006. Yeah. With it's Chris Eichmann. Uh, Chris Eichmann fans. Yeah. Apparently Chris Eichmann, I remember The Treatment kind of coming out along with Chris Eichmann's own movie, Turn the River, which also stars Monica Jansen, which uh, about, she plays um, billiards or something, but and, she's also and a Treatment movie. And he directed Treatment Butthead. co-stars Peter Vack, who <laughs> is, in uh, is in Fort Tilden. It's crazy. Yeah. It's conspiracy. A lot of, a lot of connections. Uh, I, I think The Treatment was the first thing I ever did. I, I mean, it gets weird with when things are shot versus when uh, things are released. And so that and the, the buried secret of M. Night Shyamalan, which I was largely <laughs> cut out of, were around the same time. That's super uh, um, So I kind of forget that that movie exists just because I'm uh, so embarrassed by everything I did in it. Uh, <laughs> but Chris Eigenman plays an English teacher in that, and I play one of his students. So there are like four or five um, classroom scenes in the movie. And uh, Peter Vack and I were two of, I think, four speaking students. So it was one of those things where, like, we shot one day, but because those scenes are split up across the film, uh, I, I end up having more real estate in the movie than I should. And I, I think my IMDb uh, credit on that is erroneously high as well. Well, for uh, someone who's still in the early stages of their career, I would guess, uh, you've see, clearly worked with a lot of very cool people. I think Chris Eichmann, I, one day with Chris Eichmann, it's like, you know, I, I could die on that. Yeah, yeah. Eichmann, know, they have the, uh, a very few complaints. Like, I can complain about how things I was in uh, turned out or, or how little as you should. Uh, but I'm very happy with all the sort of experiences I've had. And like, yeah, I've gotten to work with insane people. Uh, which literally. Is, yeah. Yeah. Literally <laughs> mentally unstable people. In Kevin Costner's case. Ke- Costner, he hates you. If you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and people can see you probably this summer. You may know more about, uh, the release date than I do in South by Southwest winning film for Tilden. Yeah, yes. I, I don't. I think it'll be the, the, out this summer. I'm not sure exactly, but uh, I would guess it's got a lot of uh, boobs in it. Yeah, so I recommend it to everybody. Maybe that's what was missing from the the draft day equation. Mm, more boobs. <laughs> more boobs. Yeah, but I'm on screen. I get to co-star with a lot of boobs in that movie. And, and uh, when you see Griffin pop up in Night Moves, you know you're watching the last scene. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so pay attention. Yeah. Wait. Alert. I really, I, I really want to know if you're in a Friday the 13th movie like your IMDb says you were going to be. Is that true? I'm so glad I'm getting the chance to publicly address this. Uh, I have no idea where that rumor came from, but I also want it to be true. <laughs> uh, I did not add it. I, I've been grilling a lot of my friends who I assumed added it as a joke. Uh, maybe I'm on some internal list. I don't know why I would be. Uh, but as far as I'm concerned, it, it's based on no truth. But uh, if the Paramount Studio executives are listening, I would very much like to be in that film as I'm rumored to be on IMDb. I don't know if you know, but this is how entertainment news works. We can now claim that you are not in the film, and that is <laughs> a scoop. It's a scoop. Yeah. scoop. We got a scoop. We can also claim that he's in Star Wars, and we'll probably there's like a 50 percent chance we're we'll yeah, be right. Yeah, it's it's possible that there's a list somewhere in that office with your name on it. So. It's probably certain. It's very possible. I did try to add myself to the cast of Star Wars Episode Seven on IMDb, <laughs> and it, and it wasn't accepted. Who would you play? What if it would go up even for two hours, <laughs> and then submit it to websites and get some good publicity? Yeah, like Slash Film would run a story, and then oh. every other fucking website you'd be. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You'd get a full 48 hours of, of hardcore right. press. I'm glad you're using your powers of having an IMDb page for evil, which is exactly what you <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't, I don't post erroneous things often, but I thought... I, you know what I did? I listed myself as playing the role of Jar Jar Binks' roommate. <laughs> so I thought the double header of both a new cast member being added and the, the concept that maybe Jar Jar was in the film would get some traction, but then they, it was not to be no. IMDb. Well, Griffin Newman, thank you for being on the show. Everyone, go see Draft Day if you haven't already. And if you have, see it again. Yeah, see it three or four times. Yeah.
Okay. And that does it for today's Fighting in the War Room. We'll be back on Friday to review Transcendence, which turns Johnny Depp into a super supercomputer. It might be what we're recording this podcast on right now. You don't know. We're recording but, it on Johnny Depp. Yeah, that, that works. Uh, in the meantime, tell the people who you are. I am Matt Patches. I write on the internet when I'm not trapped inside of a computer with Johnny Depp. And... I became the internet and then wrote about movies. MattPatches.com on Twitter at Mr. Patches. And hey, we also have a website inside Johnny Depp, and it's called FightingInTheWarRoom.com. You can go there, tweet, or leave comments, or hopefully do a lot of other silly, fun things. Go now. I'm David Ehrlich. You can find me on, what, what do I say? I don't even know anymore. Uh, Johnny Depp. On the internet, Johnny Depp. Uh, <laughs> my best friend is Ben Affleck. I see a blackboard and there's an equation on it. I just have to solve it. Uh, you can find me writing about movies on the Dissolve. Uh, if this is on Friday, I guess I just wrote my first thing for the AB Club. I'm on Twitter at David Ehrlich and at Criterion Corner. And you can find all of us together in one place talking to you on Facebook. Right, what's the opposite the of room? transcendence? Because I think that's what we're achieving right now. Descendants. Alexander <laughs> yeah. uh, Payne's finest movie. Descendants? No. I just, come on. Really? Oh, Descendants. Come on. <laughs> jokes. <laughs> jokes. I love jokes. <laughs> Boo. All right. Dave Gonzalez is my name. My Twitter handle is DA7E, which is how I spell Dave. You know, it's my quirk. You guys should head over to Latino-Review and check out my Dawn of the Planet of the Apes set visit because I made it verbose like a short chapter in a novel because I don't think people really read set visits. Prove me wrong. Go check it out. (laughs) If you want to call in and leave your Nicholas in Cage impression, we are still collecting them at 914-410-6450. Pick a Nicolas Cage line, speak it into the phone, and if you want to be known for it, leave us your Twitter handle. I'm Katie Rich. This one time Johnny Depp was on the cover of Vanity Fair, which is how VanityFair.com was born. I edit the Hollywood section at that website. You can also find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. You can find the entire show, all of us, on Twitter as well at F-I-T-W-R, where you can answer this week's lightning round question, and I'm hoping for some good answers from this one. And it was... In honor of television's Fargo, what 90s movie would make a good TV show? Thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you on Friday. And if he stays, I'll wait for him in the morning. I'm a thousand pieces of light. If he stays, then I'll wait for him in the morning. I'm a thousand pieces of light. If he stays, I'll wait for him in the morning. Pieces of love. If he stays, then I'll wait for him in the morning. I'm a thousand pieces of light.